Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the movie set shooting of Helena Hutchins, which involves the actor Alec Baldwin, and compare the incident to the shooting of Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee. On October 21, 2021, at about 1.50 p.m., sheriff's deputies responded to a movie set at the Bonanza Creek Ranch in Santa Fe County, New Mexico. An accidental shooting had been reported. Two people had sustained injuries. A 42-year-old cinematographer named Lena Hutchins was airlifted to the University of New Mexico Hospital. She would be pronounced dead. A 48-year-old director named Joel Souza was transported by ambulance to a local hospital. He was released the next day. At the time making this video, the investigation is in the early stages, but we do know that a firearm being operated by Alec Baldwin was involved in the shooting. One report indicated that a live cartridge was loaded into the weapon. No charges have been filed. Alec Baldwin tweeted, saying that he was cooperating with the investigation and his heart was broken for the Hutchins family. The movie that was being filmed is titled Rust. It is a low-budget western, $6 million. Just to put that in perspective, the average budget for an episode of The Crown on Netflix is $13 million. The incident occurred on the 12th day of a scheduled 21-day shoot. Some union crew members had protested the working conditions not long before the incident. They walked off the set just six hours before the shooting. Apparently, they were replaced by non-union crew members. One person on the set said that corners were being cut and that there were three misfires of a prop gun in the previous week. One incident involved Alec Baldwin's stunt double misfiring a gun twice. The shooting occurred when Alec Baldwin was rehearsing a scene outside of a church on the set. The scene involved a gunfight that started in the church, then Baldwin's character was supposed to back out of the church. A union that represents prop masters suggested that the shot that killed Hutchins and injured Sousa was a single live round. The local sheriff said that the weapon was discharged by Alec Baldwin. Now moving to my analysis. There are three items that I'll cover here in this analysis. First, I'll talk about the Brandon Lee shooting that occurred in 1993. That story potentially provides context to the Alec Baldwin story. Second, I'll talk about my theory about what may have happened on the Rust movie set and raise some questions in that case. Third, I'll talk about the potential mental health effects of the Rust shooting based on what we saw from the Brandon Lee case. Starting with the first item, what happened in the case of Brandon Lee 
on the Crow movie set. Brandon Lee was the son of the famous martial artist and actor Bruce Lee. He studied martial arts from a young age, both before and after his father died in 1973. Brandon Lee worked as a scriptwriter before landing some parts on TV and movies. He eventually landed the lead in the movie The Crow. Around midnight on March 31, 1993, during production of The Crow in Wilmington, North Carolina, 28-year-old Brandon Lee was shooting the scene where he was supposed to walk into an apartment and be shot by a criminal at a range of about 15 feet. The actor playing the criminal was Michael Massey. Massey was supposed to shoot Lee with a Smith & Wesson Model 629. This is a six-shot double-action revolver chambered in 44 Magnum. This weapon was made famous in the Dirty Harry film series. When Massey pointed the weapon and fired, a bullet struck Brandon Lee in the abdomen and lodged in his spine. After being struck, Lee fell backwards, but the scene was written so that he was supposed to fall forward. People on the set thought he was kidding around by laying on his back after the gunshot. Lee's trainer went over to Lee and noticed that he was unconscious and breathing heavily. A medic came over and monitored Lee's pulse, which was regular to start with, but then it slowed down and stopped over the course of two to three minutes. Lee was rushed to a hospital where he would die just after 1 p.m. The big question here, of course, was how did a firearm being used as a prop in the production of a movie fire a projectile that would kill an actor? To understand what happens here, it's important to understand a little bit about how a firearm operates. The specific weapon in this case was a revolver. It had a cylinder with six chambers. Each chamber holds a single ammunition cartridge. A cartridge has four parts. Sometimes cartridges are incorrectly called bullets. A bullet is just one part of the cartridge. It is the part that flies out of the barrel. It is often made of lead, copper, brass, and steel, as well as other materials. The other three parts would be the casing, primer, and the propellant, sometimes called smokeless powder. The main ingredient is nitrocellulose. A firearm is typically discharged using a hammer or striker that strikes a primer. Revolvers use hammers. Semi-automatic pistols can use either a hammer or a striker. After being struck, the primer ignites the propellant. The propellant does not explode, Rather, there is a deflagration. It burns very quickly, building up a tremendous amount of pressure. This pressure propels the bullet down the barrel and out of the weapon. With all this in mind, let's move back to the set of the Crow. In this movie, they used a real Smith & Wesson Model 629. It's referred to as a prop in the movies, but a prop can still be a real item. This was a real gun. In a scene that preceded the one in which Lee was killed, they used real cartridges so they could shoot close-ups. I imagine they wanted to see the cartridges, and specifically the bullets, inside of the cylinder. Now with the cartridges they used to make the gun appear loaded, they removed the propellant. But the other three parts of the cartridge were still there. The primer, the casing, and the bullet. Now there's two possibilities at this point when looking at how a bullet ended up in the barrel. First, at some point around the time of that scene, Someone pulled the trigger when the gun was loaded with those cartridges that did not have propellant. The hammer struck the primer. This created enough force to separate the bullet from the casing, leaving it in the barrel of the weapon. It wasn't enough force to fire it out of the weapon, but just to move it a little bit. Second, the bullet was not properly seated back into the casing, and it became separated 
it simply fell into the barrel. Either way, the bullet was still in the gun, but whoever handled the weapon did not know this, even though they should have known. When the cartridges were removed, they should have noticed that one of the bullets was missing. Moving to the scene where Brandon Lee was killed, during this scene, they loaded the weapon with blanks. A blank is just like a regular cartridge, except it doesn't have a bullet. Sometimes the end of the casing is crimped, and there may be some other material put in the cartridge so the propellant doesn't come out, often something like paper or plastic. When Michael Massey pointed the revolver at Brandon Lee and pulled the trigger, the propellant deflagrated and pushed the bullet out of the barrel. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, hi True Crime, Crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while, first in Amy's book of poetry, Doe, and then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week, we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. An investigation by the Wilmington District Attorney determined that several crew members were negligent. They had ignored well-recognized safety guidelines. Many people were surprised that no charges were filed in the case of Brandon Lee's death. Perhaps North Carolina did not want to alienate the film industry. With the circumstances of Brandon Lee's death in mind, let's move to the incident on the set of the movie Rust. As I mentioned, at this point we don't know everything, but here's what we know so far. During a rehearsal, the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who was responsible for making sure the weapons were safe, placed three weapons on a rolling cart. So this position, armor, is one that we see on many sets that would involve weapons. There's typically a head armor and an assistant armor. The assistant director, Dave Halls, picked up one of the firearms, specifically a Colt revolver, and handed it to Alec Baldwin while shouting the term cold gun. This meant that the weapon did not contain any type of ammunition, not live ammunition, and not blanks. So when a weapon is declared cold, nothing is supposed to be in it. Alec Baldwin is supposed to draw the pistol from a holster. The second time he did this, the weapon discharged. A projectile struck Hutchins in the chest. It passed through her and struck Sousa in the shoulder. He was standing just behind her. My understanding is that neither Alec Baldwin nor Dave Halls believed the weapon was loaded with any type of cartridge. Here are a few thoughts I have about this situation. Item number one. In September of 2021, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed said in a podcast that she was worried that she didn't have enough experience for the job. 
she was particularly fearful of loading blanks into weapons, saying she didn't know anything about it. But her father trained her. Based on the information available right now, it appears as though she was correct about not being ready. Item number two, firearms should always be respected. I don't think Alec Baldwin or Dave Halls were to blame for this in the sense that they did something intentional, but anyone handling a firearm must be responsible for that weapon. Someone should never shout a term like cold gun if they have not checked the weapon themselves. If they didn't want to take the time to understand how the weapon worked or to check it, they should not have been handling firearms. No matter how many people on that set check the weapon to make sure that it's safe, whoever touches it should always check it themselves just to be sure. It doesn't provide any comfort to Alec Baldwin or Dave Halls to know that there's somebody else to blame. I find it incongruent that Alec Baldwin trusted the armor to provide an unloaded weapon, yet as an anti-gun activist, he has expressed distrust for law-abiding citizens who want to own and carry firearms. I guess Baldwin is saying that an inexperienced 24-year-old armorer can safely operate weapons, but American citizens can't. This incident appears to contradict his conclusion. Item number three, the gun should never have been pointed at the members of the crew. If this was another actor, like in the Brandon Lee situation, that would make more sense, although it's still not a good idea. If it was one of those scenes where Alec Baldwin was pointing a gun directly at a camera, they should have been using a remote camera or otherwise protected the crew. Item number four, the explanation from the police doesn't explain why a projectile was fired from the weapon. If somebody accidentally left blanks in it, that's one thing, that's dangerous enough, but how was there a projectile in the barrel? Perhaps someone negligently loaded a live cartridge in one of the cylinder chambers, or something happened similar to the Brandon Lee incident. Somehow a bullet was lodged in the barrel from a prior use of the weapon. So again, all this is based on initial reports. Who knows what really happened? Perhaps the weapons were switched without the armor knowing. Maybe low-budget Western movie-hating aliens came down from outer space and put a bullet in the barrel. Anything's possible at this point. Now moving to the last question. What is the potential mental health effect on somebody like Alec Baldwin? There are reports indicating that he was distraught over the death of Hutchins. He was very upset and feels terrible about what happened. In light of what happened to Michael Massey after he accidentally killed Brandon Lee, we know that the mental health impact can be devastating. Michael Massey was never the same after the incident. He was traumatized. He took a year off of acting, but he had nightmares for years after the incident. He could never reconcile his failure to check the weapon. It only would have taken a couple of seconds. He could not distance himself from the reality of what he failed to do. Michael Massey would die in 2016 at the age of 64, having never escaped the effects of the tragedy. As I mentioned, I don't think Alec Baldwin was primarily the one at fault, but it is likely there was something he could have done to prevent the unintentional discharge. That is something he will have to live with for the rest of his life. It doesn't matter if the investigation finds that one of the crew members was at fault. It doesn't matter how many times people make statements to Alec Baldwin like, it's not your fault, you're an actor, you're not supposed to understand how firearms work. Anybody would have done the same thing. It could have happened to anybody. None of those statements will assist him in dealing with this. As always, I think the best move is to seek counseling and be honest about what happened. 
The situation has been a tragedy for everybody involved, the victims, their families, and for Alec Baldwin. I hope that everybody takes the necessary steps to protect their mental health as they start down a long road to recovery. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic. And now each week, I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.